Every week in staff meeting, our team talks through one part of our mission, vision, and culture. And this portion of the podcast brings you into the room for those awesome messages. Be sure to share this episode with your team and come on, let's grow together. Alrighty, so um, I love um, playing games with the kids. One of my kids, so um, you know, the, all of you know I have three kids. We have Elijah who's 10, then we have the twins, Astro Moses, that are eight. Love playing games with them. And whenever I play with them, uh, I never just let them win. You know, it, it's best, like the best kind of game is when it's equally a challenge for all of us involved. So if I'm playing with the kids, whether it's one-on-one or a group of us, if it's equally a challenge for all of us, that's the best, because then it really is a competition. We're all playing, we're all trying to win, we're all doing well. Um, And if it's not the case where it's, you know, evens for all of us, I try to make it fair. I never just let them win, but I always try to, like, not go too far, but, you know, I'll win one, you win one, you win two, I'll win one, you know, try and sort of keep it even, because I'm convinced there's no life lesson in just letting the kids win. There's no life lesson that's there. As upsetting as a kid to learn these lessons by losing, but it's painful when you have to learn it as an adult. It's upsetting as a kid. And those of you that are parents are here and those of you that are parents that are listening, you'll know. It's upsetting for kids to lose. But as an adult, to learn this lesson far too late in life, it's painful. It is actually painful. And recently, I was playing with one of the kids, and they'll remain anonymous. Megan will know who I'm talking about because she will remember the tears. But evidently, my victory was not as appreciated as it should have been. But it did give me the chance to talk about it. And hopefully, there were lessons that were learned. But shortly after I spoke to this particular child about my incredible victory and the lessons that could be learned, I did write down what I said to the kid because I knew, oh, this is going to be good for staff meeting. So I did write it down. And so I've called this Lessons from Losing. Lessons from losing. Now, when we talk about losing or failure, I'm not talking about moral failure or sin. That's a different topic, even though there's lots of overlap with what I'm going to share today. But rather, the thought is is that what should we do when we lose or fail, but our intentions aren't the problem? What should we do when we lose or fail or mess up or make mistakes or get it completely wrong or completely miss the mark, but our intentions aren't the problem? What should we do? And there's a few Proverbs I want to share today. This is the first one, Proverbs 24, 16. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Trip up seven times. Y'all just got to get up eight. Get up one more time, then we fall down, and we will keep going in the way God has for us. Losing, failing, getting it wrong, messing up, overlooking something, whatever we call it, There's all different shapes and sizes towards failure, losing, getting it wrong. All kinds of different things could be. This could be something small. It could be forgetting to do something. It could be being delayed on a deadline. Last week, I was 30 minutes late for a lunch appointment. But then there's big things, significant things. It could be putting on an event that is a complete dud. It could be miscalculating a big expense, making a promise to someone that we could not deliver on. It could be even doing something that endangers people. Now, losing isn't tragic unless doesn't matter the size of the thing. doesn't matter. The, the principle remains the same. If it is a massive problem or something small, if it's a giant failure, whether it's small or minute, the principle remains the same, is that losing isn't tragic if we make the positive response. And this is what I was trying to teach one of the kids when their game did not go their way. And there's a few things I want to write down. It isn't tragic unless you didn't learn anything. That's the first thing. I've got a few of these. The first thing is it isn't tragic. It isn't the end of the world. It isn't devastating. It isn't irredeemable if... 
you learn something. But if you didn't learn something, man, is that a problem. Man, is that a crisis. But you didn't learn anything. That is a problem. Now, the barriers to learning from mistakes, common ones that comes up, this won't be a surprise to anyone, blaming everyone else, making excuses, justifying yourself, and then I also wrote this down, over-rationalizing. So, for example, it ended up being good, so I guess it's not a problem. So we forgot to get food for everyone, but it worked out because one of the volunteers was able to go to McDonald's, and so everyone was happy. Justifying the mistake, justifying the problem. Blaming, making excuses, justifying, over-rationalizing. Now, as someone who has both made excuses and also listened to excuses, I can say what happens is that when the person listening to these excuses it gets to a point where you just realize that someone is rattling off all these excuses and justifications, but they're not learning anything. And so typically, you just end the conversation. It's like, oh, okay, fine. Yes, you were late because you know, the dog ate your homework, whatever. You're just done. And so it can feel like the person making excuses, it can feel like, wrongly, that you've dodged a bullet. That you've got out of dodge. You're, you're off the hook. The truth is, if you've ever had people, if you've ever been on the other side of it, where you're the one receiving the excuses, you know it smells off. Excuses smell bad. And you just know that it's off. And so even though you're kind of in that position of like, I'm really going to argue with you over the validity of why you're late or why you forgot to do something, of why something didn't happen. Am I going to argue with it? Or am I just going to say, all right. And what ends up happening is that incredible amounts of trust and respect is lost in that conversation. Because instead of owning up, we try to go for excuses. And it smells bad, we know it smells bad, we know it's an attempt to avoid responsibility, and unfortunately, trust and respect is what's at stake. We can share a reason for a mistake and learn a lesson. We can explain why something didn't happen, why the mistake came to be. And it's not an excuse until you try to dodge responsibility. Why this happened, the practicalities of why this didn't go to plan, why it didn't happen, and why you weren't able to deliver, or why something was forgotten, or something was overlooked. There may be reasons behind it, that's fine, but as long as it doesn't mean you're trying to then move responsibility away from yourself. As long as you still own the responsibility, the conversation about the reasons is perfectly reasonable. But the moment that it's, yeah, no, it's not my fault, man. I, it, was, it just smells bad. And it just smells like you're trying to push away responsibility. And unfortunately, trust and respect is what's on the line. Um, as you would have heard me talk about it a number of times, I'm a massive appreciator of John Maxwell. Love reading his books and have done for many, many years at this point. But I want to read this to you. I've heard him say this a number of times. And so I found that this was a really helpful thought around this idea of learning from our mistakes rather than giving into you know, excuses and justification. So this is a quote from John Maxwell. For over 2,000 years, people have been saying that experience is the best teacher. With all due respect, I have to disagree with that statement. Experience is not the best teacher. Evaluated experience is. There's an old joke that experience is a hard teacher because the test is given first and the lesson is given afterwards. Experience is a hard teacher because the test is given first and the lesson is given afterward. That's true, but only if the person takes time to reflect after the experience. Otherwise, you receive the test first and the lesson may never come. People have innumerable experiences every day and may learn nothing from them because they never take the time to pause and reflect. That's why it is so important to pause and let understanding catch up with us. And that's from John Maxwell. Interesting thought that a mistake, failure, doesn't automatically lead to a lesson. But it isn't wasted 
An absolute disaster is not wasted if we are determined to draw the lesson from it, to learn that lesson. So first thing is you don't learn the lesson. Second thing, you don't care. You don't care. Failure is a massive problem, an irredeemable problem if you don't care. Now, this is partially a callback to uh, an older staff meeting, um, Devo, that we had a number of months ago now, is the idea that you have to care about what you're leading. You can't lead something well if you don't care, if you're not emotionally invested. You cannot lead something well. And in this whole thought about you know, losing and failure and going wrong and missing the mark and not doing it right, this whole idea about you, know, you have to care, you have to be emotionally invested in what you're doing, to be able to do it well, to be able to lead it faithfully. And I've learned from experience that it's unbearable to work through the aftermath of a problem or a mistake or you know, some kind of mishap. It's an absolute disaster if the person does not care about it. If the person is nonchalant about the whole thing, it can be an absolute disaster because there's no reason to think about whatever's being addressed, whatever is being talked about, whatever needs to be thought through, whatever problem needs to be undone, there's no confidence that it's never gonna happen again. Unless you can see, unless the person is communicating, yes, I care about this. Yes, this is a problem. If people are nonchalant about it, there's no confidence that it's never going to happen again. It's being addressed and it's being rethought through and people are learning a lesson. Instead, it's the very opposite. Instead, it's like, it's a matter of time until this happens again. We had a, an instance. This was uh, with a media team at a different church where Luke Cutler was not employed. And there was a typo on the screens. And so I went and I spoke to the media team about it and sort of said, hey, just so you know, this was the typo, I forget what it was. And the response I got was, oh, okay, well, it's a good job no one would notice. And I was like, it is now a matter of time until we get another one of these coming up because there is nothing from that exchange that gave me any confidence that this is being thought through, this is being worked through, that someone's actually going to address this. There is no confidence at all. And in all honesty, because there's only us listening to this, I was more enraged with the response than with the typo. A typo will not cause me to lose sleep, but the idea that we've got people leading our teams that are just sort of, ah, okay, well, you know, no one will notice. What? What do you mean no one will notice? That's not a response. We got a problem. We got a mistake. Let's fix it. Let's get better. Let's lose excellence. Like, let's give our best. Like, let's try. Let's honor people. Let's respect the extreme people that will notice that, and they won't be able to think about anything else because the typo is still in their mind 20 minutes later. Let Anyway, I'm going to move on from there. All right, third thing, third thing, a failure, a problem, losing is not tragic if you don't give up. If you give up, it is devastating. You don't give up. <clears throat> in, uh, in Montana, in the, um, the, uh, house, the locker room for the football team, there was a sign that was up, I read that one day that said, quitters never win and winners never quit. Quitters never win and winners never quit. And I thought to myself, that's stupid. And the reason I thought it was stupid is I've quit lots of things in my life. And there are lots of things that I've quit that I'm glad I've quit. There are things that I've given up on. There are things that I'm like, this is not where I should be going. This is not the path that I should be on. But what I wrote down that I think speaks to this and hopefully is helpful is that quit because you're on the wrong path, not because you tripped. Quit because you're on the wrong path. You're going in the wrong direction. You're giving your time, energy, effort, focus to things that God's not calling you to do. Things that aren't moving the mission forward. Things that perhaps once upon a time were good things that God did have for you, but that season has passed. If you're on the wrong path, quit, get off, find the new path, go in the different direction, go where God's moving you. But don't quit because you tripped. Remember the proverb we started off with. 
fall down seven times, get up eight. Don't quit because you trip. Quit because you're on the right path. Our goal is not to retire with a flawless track record. Our goal is to keep moving, keep being faithful, keep growing, keep stretching, and persist along the right path. So I thought that it would be helpful to share a couple of ideas and a couple of thoughts about how to avoid mistakes. It kind of seemed somewhat redundant to get up and just talk about, you know, how to handle mistakes well. But hopefully we can have a few ideas about how to avoid mistakes. In uh, Craig Rochelle's church, as part of the R&Rs, the staff reviews that they have, they ask the question, how have you failed recently? So this idea of you know, failure, yes, it's expected. It's expected that as we take a chance on something, as we try something new, some of them won't go as planned. Some will flop. That's expected. But of course, we do want to minimize those as best we can. That is being prudent. So a couple of things. First thing, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. I really hope my kids listen to this. Don't be lazy. Now, it's obvious, but it's worth remembering. And I say with complete sincerity, I don't see laziness on this team, and I never have. And I completely believe that we're going to keep it that way. But I do have a proverb that talks about this. Proverbs 12, 24, work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Now, let's think about that in simplistic terms. Work hard and become a leader. So if you think about it, a leader being up high on the social status, that's a leader. The alternative is to be lazy and become a slave. That's low on the social status. What we can glean from the proverb is that moving up and down on that social ladder, level of prominence, level of you know, influence, ability to reach people, ability to uh, you know, have you know, uh, positions of leadership and so on, the, what causes that up and down movement is our working hard versus laziness. People that are diligent, people that show up, people that get it done, people that put their best effort forward. Those people will naturally climb. Neglecting those things, laziness creeping in, that causes people to go down in the social status. That's what we get from the proverb. And it's easy to see how that can transfer to our lives. Don't be lazy. Second thing, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Another proverb for you. Wise people think before they act, fools don't, and even brag about their foolishness. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't, and even brag about their foolishness. I was um, watching a movie recently. It's a um, Michael Keaton movie called The Founder, and it's about Ray Kroc, the guy that um, he didn't start McDonald's, but he really sort of took the um, you know the the uh, one restaurant and kind of expanded it through franchises. Now, what I learned through the movie, I didn't know this, but Ray Kroc, the guy that did this, had an awful reputation. He was a shady guy, dishonest, and. He was a tricky character, but there's a moment in the movie, and I'm going to spoil the movie, which is the worst thing a person can do, but I'm going to do it. The movie's six years old now. I don't feel too bad, but one of the final things in the movie is that the brothers, the McDonald's brothers who started the original restaurant, Ray Kroc is negotiating a contract to kind of buy out the whole thing because he, you know, he's paying them a piece of the pie every month. So to be done with that and build the McDonald's empire, which is what you and I know today, he needed to buy out the brothers. So as part of that negotiation, they figured out we're going to write you this check and then there's going to be a royalty that we will pay you every year. But what was agreed upon was that, you know what, here's the check but for the royalty that you're going to get every year, forever and ever, we'll have to do a handshake deal on that. And I give you my word that we'll make the payment. But to have it in writing kind of complicates things. And there's investors I've got to be considerate of. And so for all these reasons, there's no way Ray Kroc can put this in writing. It's just going to be a handshake gentleman's agreement. 
the Kroc brothers, uh, sorry, the McDonald's brothers, foolishly take this man's word at it, even though he has proven himself to be dishonest, to be a swindler, to be shady, even though they have seen this over a period of years that his character is not to be trusted. They made this deal that on a handshake, they'll get the royalties from McDonald's restaurants. He never once paid them a nickel. Not once. Today, the McDonald's family, their their, uh, beneficiaries of their trust, should be getting $100 million a year plus. $100 million. Now, the lesson here is nothing to do with the money. It's simply the fact that you're in a position of making a decision. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to not act with foolishness, to have our heads screwed on, to think things through, to weigh things up. For those guys... It seems harsh, but guys, come on. You know this guy is a swindler, and you're just giving his word any weight at all? Foolishness. To avoid mistakes, don't be foolish. Third thing, don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect prayer. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you'll know this one well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, this is where the sports analogy breaks down. But some of the mistakes in the Bible would do to godly leaders acting without prayerful consultation. Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it. David took the census. Hezekiah gave a tour of all his wealth and military power to Babylonian ambassadors. Now, these things in of themselves, they're not evil, wicked, awful, sinful things to do until you recognize that if only they would have stopped and prayed about it, they would have had a check and the Lord would have spoken and said, no, that's not what I want for you to do. David had taken a census. There are other times in the Bible where people are commanded to take a census. But it was not what God wanted for David right now. And because he didn't think about it, because he didn't pray, because he didn't listen to what the Lord had to say, missed the mark. Moses was told to strike the rock on another occasion. And he went back and tried it again. But it's like, no, that's not what I said, Moses. If you would have thought, if you would have been prayerful about it, it would have gone differently. Hezekiah, okay, you've got all this stuff. You've got all this military prowess. You're, you know, you've got treasury filled with goodies. But I don't want you to show it to the enemy if he would have stopped and prayed about it. So don't neglect prayer. Prayerful decisions is essential. It's obvious, but in the busyness of life, it is unbelievably easy to neglect. Prayerful decisions. So our original question, what should we do when we lose or fail, but our intentions aren't the problem? Learn something. Care that it went wrong. Be emotionally moved that something we were responsible for didn't go to plan. It cost something. It caused a problem. It failed. It didn't go to plan. Care that it went wrong, but don't quit. Learn something, care that it went wrong, but don't quit. And if you want to make way more mistakes, if you're here, if you're listening, and you want to fail more, you want to lose more, you want to miss the mark more, be lazy, be foolish, and don't take the time to pray. Proverbs 24, 16, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Lord, use something from today, from these Proverbs that we've shared. Lord, speak to our hearts. Grab a hold of us. Lord, sharpen our uh, approach to leadership in the way that we serve people, serve your church, build your kingdom. Lord, help us, Lord, to learn from our mistakes, learn from failures, learn from when we've gone completely wrong. Lord, please give us the fortitude to be determined not to give up, 
Lord, not to quit at the first sign of trouble, but to keep going in the path that you've set us on, to learn something. Lord, if you've got a lesson for us to learn, we want to learn. Lord, we want to care deeply about what you've called us to lead. We don't want to be passive when things don't go to plan, Lord, but we want to address it and we want to move on to not be lazy, to not be foolish, and to keep seeking you and your will in everything we do and to get up one more time than we fall down. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen, amen.